Hello and welcome to the podcast. This is the Nursing Crash Cart episode one and my name is Cameron. If you were anything like me, you're intimately familiar with the music you just heard. It was, of course, the theme for that television show, ER. Life in the real emergency department doesn't quite live up to the standard of drama that you saw on that show or pretty much any other medical show, but there are are definitely emotional themes that do transfer from any medical drama to kind of the, the, the real life aspects of nursing. There's certainly a compassion towards your fellow coworkers, though it does tend to be a lot less hooking up in the on-call room and more related to uh, maintaining an excellent team environment. There's also, of course, that, you know, compassion toward our patients, too. Uh, you know, stress was definitely a, a common theme of, of ER, and any job that revolves around taking care of people that, you know, may die is going to force you to find you know, positive ways of, of coping with those feelings. You know, there's, there's going to be heartaches and sad times, you know, like I just said, we're, we're, we're dealing with patients that that are typically very, very sick. And, uh, you know, you get that, that kind of feeling of frustration about how little it seems like we can do with some of those patients that we take care of. On the flip side, though, there is that feeling when everything comes together and you get to save a life, especially one that, you know, when they came in, you did not think it was going to happen, that they were too far gone, they've been down too long, and the next thing you know, you hear the next day that they're alert and oriented times three and extubated and and ready to go home. It's, it's kind of one of those reasons why we come back the next day to do it all over again. So, this podcast is one of my cathartic positive outlets. I don't expect it to be an end-all, be-all resource for nurses in the ED. It's it's not going to be something you could throw on a resume or or get uh, CEUs for, cite in a paper, or anything crazy like that. I want to set the bar super, super low here, so if I happen to trip and fall over it, you can all be pleasantly surprised. There's There's definitely a portion of nurses who feel that new grads and new nurses don't really belong in an ED or critical care environment. You've likely heard it uh, you know, numerous times during school from professors or your clinical instructors, the, the preceptors you may have had, or even just uh, nurses you were working around on the floors where you're doing your, your clinicals, that every nurse should have a foundation as a floor nurse before moving on to something else, especially something uh, related to critical care. I absolutely don't believe that. Uh, Of course, I've never worked on a floor except as a student, and and that's a totally different environment. But I, I knew it wasn't for me from day one of school, if not before. I got into nursing because I had seen shows like ER, and I wanted to be there taking care of you know, sick and crashing patients. I wanted to have my adrenaline pumping, pushing epi, shouting clear and, and, you know, damn it, don't give up on me while I precordial thump some dude in the chest. And I want to, you know, rip off bloody protective covering in a dramatic fashion, walking out of a room, you know, that, that whole drama aspect that you saw on, on those shows. I know I'm not alone in these feelings, which is, it's kind of part of the point of view I'm hoping to achieve by 
babbling somewhat coherently into a microphone every so often. It's one of those wonderful things about nursing that if you, you know, if you don't like a particular specialty, uh, you know, there's dozens that you can choose from until you, you figure out what makes you tick. Uh, you know, I want others to hear you know, what it's like in the emergency department, what kind of patients we take care of, how to critically think through what's going on around you and what's going on with your patients. I want this to be a, a resource for those who are, you know, everything from starting nursing school, thinking they may want to work in an ER someday, to those who you may have just graduated or are looking for a job and want to know if critical care might be for them, or to new nurses in the emergency department, either because they're a new grad or they're coming from another specialty or something, and they just want some like supplemental information to help with their orientation or you know maybe you're a complete vet and you just want to hear a different perspective on things i want to provide current evidence-based information to hopefully put some of the old habits out there to past year and kind of introduce what's being done around the country to to improve outcomes for our patients mostly I want it to be about the patients. I want to have the best information out there to be able to advocate for them. And I hope anyone listening to this, uh, you know, can take away something to also help them advocate for their patients. The ER nurses there, you know, they're some of the smartest, hardest working people I've ever, ever had the pleasure to call peers. Nursing's not my, my first, um, it's not my first job, my first career. I'm, I'm, I, already had this feeling I'm only a few years into this but I kind of get the feeling it's going to be my last there's there's this gestalt that an ED nurse has that's kind of both honed between you know dealing with everything from legitimate patients to the you know, the frequent flyers and drug seekers and all the other nonsense and and then you get uh you can still be humbled, though, by, you know, someone you didn't think of who, uh, you know, you didn't think they were all that sick, and they end up kind of crumping right before your eyes. It really is critical care at a fast pace while filtering through, I don't want to say BS, but it's, it's definitely too high a percentage of people who don't really understand what an emergency is or when they should be coming to an emergency room. So, pardon all that tangent, let me kind of talk about the point of this first episode. I figure the best place to start is kind of at the beginning, so I'll kind of walk everyone through the things I like to cover on day one, if I'm precepting. Uh, this means that it's uh, you're not going to touch on a body system or a disease process specifically or anything. It's going to be kind of about approaching your day in the ED Getting in that right mindset, preparing your environment, setting yourself up for success, and how to how to survive past that first day without wanting to pull out your hair. I titled this episode, Chance Favors the Prepared Mind, after the Louis Pasteur quote, for a, a few reasons, I guess. It's A, it's, it's a great quote um, that yeah, can be applied to you know all aspects of, of nursing and working or whatever in general and living. And be part of um, you know, what I'll be talking about are those required essential bits of knowledge that every nurse should know in the ED to give their patients the best possible chances of surviving. 
they they may sound like some pretty obvious things, pretty friggin' obvious things, and that's okay. Because the obvious things, they, they kind of need to be pointed out to someone on their first day. It's definitely not going to be the first thing on your mind if it's your first shift in the emergency department. I know it wasn't mine on my first shift. And uh, asking about these things will kind of probably likely rank somewhere right below don't throw up on my preceptor shoes from nervousness, which is why I'm going to point them out. The absolute first thing you should do is familiarize yourself with the location and the use of any critical equipment and resources. It's like, where's the closest crash cart? Is the defibrillator on it something that you've used before? If it's not, figure out how to pace, synchronize cardiovert, and shock someone with it. Um, do you know where the hands-free pads are for it? I, I cannot honestly recall the last time I saw someone use paddles to defibrillate somebody. Hands-free pads are quick, they're easy to apply, and they're the absolute best option for your patient, especially in something like a code. So just always make sure you're using them um, so know where they are. Uh, if you're like our emergency department, uh, we also do peds. So do you know where your pediatric and infant pads are if, if you also uh, see pediatric patients? Um, your other kind of big critical situations, if someone has to be uh, intubated, does your environment have like a, an airway box or a cart that you can get to the bedside in a hurry? That's going to have things like your laryngoscopes, your blades, your endotracheal tubes, stylets, and so on. Or does like your your respiratory therapist take care of that? Um, do you move those patients to the rooms where those are located? Kind of know what you need to do and where that equipment is and how to get to it. Uh, beyond your basic intubations, do you have uh, difficult airway carts or kaleidoscopes or crite kits? Um, do you know where all those are? What about your kits or your meds for intubation medications? Uh, we have that our pharmacists put together little orange tackle boxes that we have in our Pixis that have all of our RSI meds in there. So it's got some benzos, it's got your automidate, it's got multiple paralytic agents. Um, so we just pull out the one kit and everything you're going to need is going to be in there. Um, the only exception is going to be, it doesn't have ketamine in there for kind of some of the more sicker patients that we may be intubating. Um, but that, you know, if, if you expecting that, you can go pull out the one additional med. But there's there's nothing more frustrating than um, if you don't have a full kit of this stuff and, you know, they say they want, um, you know, Atomidate and sucks to go, you know, RSI this patient and then you get those medications drawn up and then they say, well, you know, it's a dialysis patient. Let's go and do VEC or something instead of the succinylcholine and you have to go grab a new, a whole new med out of the Pixis while you're, um, the rest of your group is standing around twiddling their thumbs waiting to intubate. So having all those medications, uh, you're in a place that's easy to get to is something that maybe your ED should be doing if it's not doing in general. So, hey, bring that up if it's not something you guys currently do. Um, but if it is something you do and you have it all locked up in the, the Pixis or a, a med room or something, know how to get to that. Um, so then once you kind of know those things, think about the other kind of sick patients that can roll through like STEMIs or strokes or bad septic patients. Um, do you have specialized kits or carts for those patients too? And do you know where those are? So once you find the, the closest 
you know, airway stuff, your crash carts, all these the specialty stuff, then you need to find the backups. The chances of a crash cart or something being used in the emergency department are pretty freaking good. So the chances of needing a second cart and having that available, that's also pretty good. So you've got to find those backups. Uh, then how about the more practical things like how to get in touch with security because security will become your friend in the emergency department. I promise you that uh, if your ED has uh, lockdown buttons, do you know where those are or air shutoff valves? I know those are some popular uh, joint commission questions when they roll around through our department and talk to staff. So know where they are because like I said they are the popular questions. Um, you know, the point of all these kind of bits of knowledge is that uh they likely can't be taught to you when the event arises to need them. So knowing this information up front is super important. If you're in orientation and you don't know these, ask your preceptor next shift to you know, make sure you're comfortable with the locations of all the equipment, the policies, the procedures for those those critical or those true emergency situations. Uh, next, you yourself have to be prepared. So know your environment and what things you should be carrying around with you at all times. Some things that if you, you know if you come from another specialty that you may not be used to carrying around things like trauma shears, hemostats, rolls of tape. Maybe you carry those all the time wherever you, know, wherever you came from, but you know, maybe you were working in I don't know interventional radiology where everything was right there beside you and you didn't have to necessarily go from room to room like that and have stuff with you. Um, you may have these at your bedside in every room, depending on your emergency department, and you don't need to carry them around. But the big thing is, is not having them in your reach when you do need them. It's just a stress you don't need. So find out what you need to be carrying. You know, talk to some of the more uh, seasoned nurses, see what they like to carry around, what things they, uh, they wish they were carrying around, and make sure you're doing so. Find your favorite pen. And then buy a freaking zillion of them. Keep them with you. Keep extras with you. Keep some in your locker, your cubbies, whatever you have. Just because you will lose pens and not having a pen you like does suck. Um, do you have a way to look up medication information? I know some um, emergency departments or hospitals have approved apps on smartphones that you can use. Or they'll have formularies built into the charting software or drug guides at the nurses' station. So you need to know where to find those things. And nobody expects you to know everything, but you at least need to know how to find the information that you don't know. Uh, the other big thing that I like to carry around is that our regular, our, our rooms only stock uh, 18, 20, and 22 gauge angiocaths. So I like to keep a 16 and a 24 gauge with me in case I need. Uh, you know, a bigger line on a, on a, like a sick patient or someone who's just being mouthy and we like to throw big lines in them. Or uh, 24 for um, like an infant or if that's just the only thing you can, you can find on somebody just to get a line going. So if you're fortunate enough to start your shift and have zero patients, A, congratulations, uh, and then B, get your rooms ready. You know, it's it's one of those things where it's everybody's responsibility to make sure that things get stocked. So, you know, don't get huffy if something isn't stocked or the previous nurse didn't get to something. It happens. Just just deal with it. Get it done. Go through your rooms. Think about, you know, if a critical patient was coming by medic and dropped into your 
uh, your ED cot right then? Do you have everything you're going to need that should be in the room? You know, kind of based on what you normally keep in the rooms in your emergency department. For me, where I work, I like to make sure that all my rooms uh, have their Ambu bags, that both the oxygen sources have flow meters and the, the drive oxygen regulators, like the little Christmas trees, attached. And if I kick on the O2, it's actually flowing. Our rooms have two suction canisters. I want to make sure that both of them have a good seal. There's tubing attached uh, with at least one of the canisters having double length tubing. Uh, sometimes on sicker patients or even, you know, there's even pelvic exams where things may be super bloody and they want suction. Um, having that extra length of tubing to get down to the foot of the bed is handy to have. So I like to have at least one of my, my suction canisters with a double length. So Ambu, working O2, working suction. Uh, beyond that, I like to make sure there's a Yonkauer tip in the room that I can hook up to suction, and then all my regular supplies are in order. We are kind of fortunate enough, we have a fairly newer remodeled ER, and we have these rolling cabinets that lock that are in every single room. Uh, we call them our nurse servers. They have our uh, all of our blood collection tubes, um, any of your, your cleaning supplies like your um, chlorhexidine or, uh, or your, your alcohol swabs, whatever you're going to need. Uh, they have angiocaths, gauze, tons of rolls of tape, IV star kits, nebulizer kits, chuck pad. I mean, the whole thing, everything that you could possibly need are going to be in there. Um, so I, I kind of expect when I open the nurse server, I'm going to have the supplies I need to you know, start a line or dress up a wound or something like that on the patient in the room. So I kind of look over my nurse servers as well, make a list of anything I want to replace. Uh, you know, the once I've gone through all my rooms, I gather all my supplies and hit all my rooms and get everything stocked. If you already have patients in your room when you start, which, let's be honest, is going to be the vast majority of the time. As I enter the room each time, I, I make a kind of a mental note regarding those those big initial three, the O2, Ambu bags, and suction. I look, do I need some tubing? Do I need a Christmas tree? Or is there a tire flow meter that's missing? Is there an Ambu bag missing? I go ahead and grab those things. I'm not coming in to disrupt the patient, but if I'm in there, you know, kind of doing my uh, rounding or introducing myself when I just got report, um, and then I come back and bring those things in the room, you know, I'm not doing it just because I, I want to come back in the room and be stalking in front of them, but those three things I kind of consider to be essential, uh, that if that patient, even though they may be a, you know, stable patient right now, if they were to go south, you want to have those things in the room. Um, and then as patients get discharged, you know, I'll enter the room again, kind of make the, um, the more in detailed list, like look through my nurse servers and then I can stock all the nitty gritty stuff, but I want to make sure those critical things are, are stocked anytime I come into the rooms. There's absolutely nothing worse than when you have somebody sick in your bed and you have to scramble because your, your suction's not working or 102 flow meters, not, not working or, or whatever. So that, you know, that chance not only favors the prepared mind, but it, it also favors the prepared environment. So we have our, our stock rooms. We can find the crash cart. We now have some patients. Our hospital, um, probably like a, like many of the hospitals out there is a teaching hospital. So we have everything from med students to residents that are working with our attending physicians. 
there's absolutely nothing worse than having four patients being taken care of by four different residents. I love the heck out of all of our residents, but when you're new to the ED and you have four different residents taking care of your patients, it is like playing whack-a-mole with orders. And it's it's easy to start to feel very overwhelmed, like you just can't get on top of your assignment. So if you're you know tackling you know orders on patient A and then you're finishing those up, you look out and patient B, C, and D all get new orders. So you rush around trying to get those all completed and you, you finally get done only to see that A's metabolic panel's back and their potassium's through the roof because they you know missed their last three dialysis treatments due to a breaking bad marathon or something on TV. And of course, so that doc's put in orders for a full round of potassium reducing meds, you know, which that's something we'll touch on on uh, later episodes. But you know, you're rushing around trying to get all that complete, and then guess what? B, C, and D are back to having full orders as you know more lab and radiology results are coming in. So it, it can be absolutely hectic, and that's one of the the fundamental differences between the ED and other nursing environments. There there is no schedule. There aren't scheduled meds. People don't have Q4 hour medications for breakthrough pain or BID Pepsid for the GI protocol. You can't. You can't start your day, look at what's ordered for your shift, and try to make a plan. By the time you even sat down to grab a piece of paper, patient A has admission orders, you know, B is being you know, discharged with, uh, I don't know, a surgical shoe and crutches that you have to then go size and teach them how to use. Uh, C is getting a dose of oral contrast or something for CT of their belly and, and D, oh, come to find out their lactate's high, they're probably septic and you got to start another IV, get some blood cultures, get antibiotics going. So, you know, by the time you have, you know, A gets you know, admitted, you get B discharged, and oh, look, there's already a new patient back in A. So you can't plan around some of that craziness. The big things you can do are prioritize and delegate. Prioritize and delegate. At any given moment, you need to be able to mentally list all the things that need to be done and then sort them. When a task is complete, you relist and you reorder. Repeat ad nauseum until it's time to clock out for the day. So uh, how do I order things? I, I kind of I ask a few questions with every task that I have. So one, is this something I need to do because someone is actively dying? Like, is it a life or limb situation? Two, is this something I need to do to prevent someone from getting to the point where they could crash? Three, is it something that is important, but can wait until life-threatening circumstances are dealt with? And four, is this something that can wait until I can get to it with no risk of life uh, or, or no risk of uh, loss of life or limb? If you're you know, anything like me, I'm, I'm a list maker and I get huge satisfaction from checking things off a list. At home, when I have my honeydew lists, I frequently do the quick and easy things just to to see that list shrink and get some kind of momentum going to tackle those, those bigger projects. And as therapeutic as that is for my personal stress, you cannot approach it that way in the ED and still be safe for your patients. There's going to be a few mantras you will often hear and you may even be familiar with in the emergency department. The first one is that the number one goal is to move the meat. That's that, that mantra, that move the meat. It means get the patients out of the ED, either by discharging them or admitting them upstairs, to clear the way for the next person that's in the lobby. 
The other which you will probably hear, you, this is probably the one you've heard, if you've heard any of these, it's the old uh, treat them and street them concept of the ER. The kind of the longer version is the meet them, greet them, treat them and street them. And it's kind of a similar concept to that move the meat. It's, it's, a, it's a detachment from the patient and kind of this association with this underlying belief that shorter length of stay and getting people out of the lobby equals a better ER. You will likely never convince anybody in your administration that it was more important for you to be suctioning, uh, suctioning like a ventilated patient or, I don't know, doing vitals on a patient during their their first 15 minutes getting you know, packed red blood cells than it was to discharge that patient next door. But for the safety of your license, your license and the, you know, the safety of your patients, I don't care if that patient with the discharge papers has to wait an hour. Will, will they care? Absolutely. Will they not understand the severity of the situation you were dealing with, which prevented you from getting to them? Yeah, also absolutely. However, if you have higher priority tasks to take care of, those need to be your focus. I promise as, as time goes on, you get better experience, your time management will get a lot better. You'll feel a lot less overwhelmed, juggling multiple tasks, and you'll also feel a lot more comfortable delegating. Delegating is one of those skills that it's not really worked on in school. Yeah, you talk about it. You talk about the you know the legal ramifications of it and what things you can and can't delegate. And then the problem is that all during your hands-on time, your your clinicals, you're taught the complete opposite. I know there was never once you got to delegate in a clinical situation. In fact, it was always like you were scraping and clawing and pushing people out of the way for every possible skill procedure or medication that you could do just try to get some experience you felt that was that was the real nursing part i gotta go try this iv or i want to go drop this ng tube that's going to be super fun i gotta i want to go do those things and then now you have to kind of train yourself to do some of the opposite you have to take those lower priority tasks that can safely and and yes legally be delegated and you have to ask someone else to help you i hate asking for help. I hate feeling like I need help. But it's just one of those things you have to do in the ED. Nobody is superhuman. You have a team there for a reason. It's not because you're expected to be able to do everything without help all the time. As you get to know your team and your your team kind of gets to know you, there will definitely be a more comfortable relationship where you don't feel awkward asking for help. On the flip side, though, there's absolutely nothing in whatever you call your techs in your hospital, you know, PCAs, PCTs, whatever, whatever the name you have for your, your technicians, your unlicensed folks. Um, there's nothing in their scope of practice. That's also not, or that's not also in yours as an RN being an RN now is not a, a license to forget how to turn a patient, take them to a procedure or, you know, answer a call light. The kind of the difference between, um, you know, those, those things is achieved when your, your unlicensed staff knows that you're, you're not asking them to do something that you yourself wouldn't do if it wasn't for something else superseding it at the time. If you come into nursing having been a tech, I know you're absolutely familiar that there are 
some nurses that are going to delegate appropriately that you would go above and beyond for, bend your back for, because you know they've helped you out too. Um, you know, you've seen them, you know, pushing that patient down the hall to ultrasound or whatever the case may be, and they didn't ask you to do it, even though um, uh, you may you may have been less busy at the time. Uh, but you also know there's that complete opposite where there's nurses that are just going to ask you to do everything except, you know, read them a bedtime story. If you haven't been a tech for, uh, tech before, kind of use this information as a cautionary tale. Techs do talk to each other and they vent just like nurses talk to other nurses and vent about physicians, which kind of brings me to the last little bit I want to talk about during this first episode, uh, you know, kind of surviving in the ED. I, I mentioned the, the venting portion with your peers. Venting can be super healthy. It's a great way to kind of decompress after stressful situations to, you know, not carry those emotions with you to the next patient or home to your, your spouse, significant other, your, your kids, pets, plants, whatever you have at home. But there's, there's a fine line between venting and gossip. One continuing theme you're going to hear me talk about uh, you know, in this episode, every episode here on out is that the people around you are your team. There's a million old sayings regarding the concept of that whole weakest link bit, and there's plenty of truth to that in the ED. Your time at work should be spent building up your coworkers, not tearing them down. I'm not going to harp on the concept because everyone knows that gossip in the workplace is, is one of those taboo things, so just just be mindful of it. One of the other kind of coping uh, mechanisms you're going to see in, well, in any critical care environment, really, is that it's a gallows humor. Um, If you're overhearing it uh, and you don't work in healthcare, you're likely going to think that that nurses and doctors are the least compassionate people in the world. This is, you know, of course, the complete opposite from the truth, but humor is an outlet to deal with the crazy crap you will see in the emergency department. Um, you know, so hearing somebody joke about a patient that just died or um, something absolutely disgusting that just happened, it, it's pretty commonplace to kind of be able to make it through the day. There's absolutely a difference between gallows humor, humor and being uh, disrespectful and, and people with this are, you know, they're not trying to do the latter. I've kind of heard it equated to, you know, whistling through the cemetery, not, not kicking over the headstones. So if you have no sense of humor about dark topics and you don't plan on shopping for uh, one in the near future, you have to come to grips with the fact that people will joke about morbid situations and just just don't uh, you know don't judge them for it. Finally, continue to be a student. Don't stop learning. Um, the fact that you're listening to this podcast probably means you've already subscribed to this belief. But always try to seek out new learning opportunities, especially ones that that you enjoy or you'll do consistently. You know, if journal club's not your thing, don't force yourself through it because that's just, it's not going to be good for you. It's not going to be good for them. Shop around for other podcasts, books, whatever you like to do to, you know, help increase your learning. Other ways of getting, you know, new and pertinent information, even if it doesn't, you know, fully translate to your specific job. So, well, that wraps up about all I wanted to cover in episode one. Uh, even before you listen to this, I want to have a few other episodes recorded. So I'm, uh, I'm kind of always adding to a list of topics that I, I want to talk about well, almost daily. Uh, some more episodes will be following this one. You can 
uh, stick them in your ear hole later and get your learning on. Uh, this time, I, I don't have any kind of a set schedule, but I like to release new episodes like weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, whatever. And to be frank, making a commitment like that kind of freaks me out because, you know, hey, I'm a guy. However, I, I do want to kind of give you some highlights on some of the things I'm wanting to talk about in the future, kind of give you some ideas what, what things you can expect with this podcast. I want to make like a, uh, a chief complaint series where each episode I break down one chief complaint, like, uh, like chest pain, break it down into the nursing process, discussing, uh, you know, key assessment questions and objective data to gather for that good focused assessment related to, uh, that chief complaint. Um, kind of help kind of pinpoint what's going on with your patient. I will not relate nursing diagnoses to the chief complaints. My nursing diagnosis book is somewhere collecting dust and I'd like it to remain that way. To put it in a nursing diagnosis, I would be at risk for self-harm related to a book I never want to see again if it hits my desk while I'm working on these podcasts. However, I, I would like to talk about the potential differential diagnoses with each complaint. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm aware that, uh, you know, diagnosing is not in the scope of practice as a nurse that falls under our, our physician friends. However, it's, it's in your best interest to think about these things, to better critically think your way through what could happen to your patient and kind of how you'd intervene. And with those interventions, we'll most obviously be, you know, discussing the interventions and how to reassess those interventions with each uh, chief complaint, too. So beyond the chief complaint uh, podcasts, I'll definitely want to hit on all the, the fun topics out there like cardiac, uh, respiratory arrests, uh, sepsis, stroke, pharmacology, toxicology, acid-base balance, um, sedation and analgesia, overdoses, mental health. Uh, while I, I like to try to, you know, throw in some questions during each episode as well, kind of related to either that chief complaint or whatever the topic is to kind of help, um, prep people for CEN style questions. So that's something you're looking at doing in the future, getting that certified emergency nurse certificate and cool. That'll be working towards that. So I want to thank you for listening to me ramble on for so long about so little. And if you want to send me a message about, you know, what an incoherent mess this was or ideas for future shows, or just tell me I'm awesome. You can email me at edcrashcart at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at edcrashcart. And you can visit me on the web at edcrashcart.com where you can subscribe to the RSS feed. And of course, if you like what you heard and you want to continue hearing new episodes, please subscribe to the show on iTunes. So this is Cameron signing off for now, wishing everyone a prepared mind and safe nursing.